Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. Hi, I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today we are wrapping up our Responsible Filmmaking miniseries for now with Intimacy Coordinator Camille Manet. Before we dive in, though, we do want to plug our new free monthly newsletter, which you can find at the bottom of breakingoutpod.com. Definitely go check that out if you haven't already. But without further ado, welcome, welcome, Camille. Can you introduce yourself and what you do? Hello, my name is Camille Monet, and I am an actor and an intimacy coordinator and director. And a bit of my background is my experience mostly ranges in acting. I've been doing that for stage primarily and a little bit of film for roughly the last 20 years. And recently, over the last few years, entered the realm of intimacy coordination and direction and have really enjoyed learning and growing and being able to be a part of this positive role within the film community and TV community and theater communities, even, yeah, this wonderful movement that's really just only gaining momentum. I am a member of Intimacy Coordinators of Color. I have also trained a bit with them as well as theatrical intimacy education and a little bit of training with intimacy directors and coordinators. So I, I'm, a, I'm a knowledge hound, so I go where the information flows. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I've had the pleasure of working on a few indie projects, film projects, as well as a few theater projects so far. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, most notably recently, friend of the pod and former guest Brandy Nicole Payne's new film, Spin, which is premiering soon, actually, uh, next month uh, at the time of hearing this podcast. So we will be sure to plug that on our socials. So keep an eye on our socials for that. That's a film called Spin that you were the intimacy coordinator or director? Coordinator, yes. What is the difference between those two? I've I've never heard them specified Mm -hmm. as separate roles. Yes. So now that's where I get nervous and make sure I'm trying to say things the right way. So and I'll say in my view, intimacy coordination is geared towards film and television. Okay. A lot of intimacy coordination and why it kind of differs from directing is because the intimacy coordinator really is that intermediary between the production team of a film and the performers in the film, meaning they also look over contracts, writers, they may be a part of the editing process to make sure certain clips don't leave the editing room. They have feedback on, you know, possible angles with the DPs and the director. And so differentiating from theater where you're more likely to be called an intimacy director, it's really kind of being like a choreographer. So sometimes people also use the Term choreographer, Mm. probably more towards the theater realm if they're saying intimacy choreography, because you are taking those scenes, just like film, though, you're taking those scenes, you're breaking them down, you're making them digestible in a non-sexual context. But theater, I don't know, in my experience so far, theater does feel more kind of like a directing side, considering I can, with my experience, also kind of give like some... Not, I don't want to say what's my motivation, but um, some of those kind of mm-hmm. thoughts, uh, some of those notes maybe on how sure. uh, performance notes. And so I feel like I have a little bit more leeway to do that on the theater end than on the directing end. So those are how the two differentiate in my experiences and in my learning. And while you'll hear either coordinator or director. 
That makes sense. Yeah. It have is there have you seen intimacy coordination by your definition in theater and then vice versa or does it tend to be very much like the different formats have different ways of approaching intimacy in the first place so you'll probably get different opinions on this mine is that there is a lot of crossover i think there are a lot mm-hmm. of similarities with film especially when you get into major network tv film of course that contract And that audition process is so much more kind of rigorous. You have to really know how to read writers and you're talking to multiple people, multiple departments consistently to really coordinate Mm -hmm. all of that. And I think that's where that word coordinator comes in very heavily with theater. You may have a part in the audition process. You may be able to meet in some production meetings to kind of help gear. You are working with different departments, such as if it's perhaps a sexual violence scene, a fight choreographer. You may be working with a dance choreographer if there's some sort of touch in the dance choreography, stage management you're working with, directors, producers to some degree. So uh, to me, that's where those crossovers are. It's just really how in-depth you want to go. Like I so far have not looked at a theater actor's contract to kind of determine what is and what isn't in their writer, so to speak, uh, for a theater performance. But I have taken the same approach for the most part, in both my work when it comes to actually working with the performers directly. That makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. So what defines intimacy and like what is under your purview in, in both cases? Intimacy, kind of the, the immediate thought that most people or what I initially tell a lot of people is any scene of physical intimate contact, anything from a handhold to a kiss to full on penetrative sex or oral sex acts. That is what we would consider an intimacy. But that definition is with the growth of the industry, with the growth of the profession, expanding to include perhaps platonic intimacy. Is this a parent-child intimacy scene? Are there, there's different levels of intimacy, uh, emotional, physical. And so as we move forward, more and more exploration into what does intimate mean or intimacy mean is kind of growing and expanding and becoming more is becoming more encompassing. And so from my experience right now, I have had mostly the actual romantic partner physical intimacy. There are now other people who are going into more cultural competency, cultural consultation, sensitivity, sensitivity, yes, sensitivity and consultation. And I feel like that's kind of a branch off now from intimacy Mm, coordination. So I do not do that. I don't know if that's something I will do kind of for personal reasons. I don't know if cultural, you know, teaching people cultural competency is my ministry, so to speak. (laughs) Uh, But there are amazing people who are taking that kind of side of an intimate or a sensitivity lens and moving forward with that, which I think is also really great. Yeah, definitely. That's interesting that you you consider like sensitivity readers and cultural consultants as a, in a similar like branch to intimacy coordination. I never thought of it that way, but that completely makes sense. It's it's mm-hmm. it's about people connecting in in specific and healthy ways. So it's interesting that you put uh, the spectrum of intimacy that you end up working with everywhere from handholding to full on like sex acts, which I think is 
is what most people think of when they think of intimacy on screen. So I imagine that you're probably not brought in on a lot of projects that are that chaste is the wrong word, but you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. where it's like, that's the only thing you're doing. So from your perspective, how do you how do you talk about those smaller acts of intimacy that I think probably most directors, certainly indie directors will kind of take for granted as like, oh, that's nothing. Yeah, right. Absolutely. I think there are multiple ways in which to look at it. There are intimacy directors, and I think most intimacy directors or coordinators now have kind of an hourly rate or consultation rate. Mm, got it. And or or I shouldn't necessarily call it a rate, an intimacy or consultation service that they provide. So if specifically, if you are a smaller production, if you are an indie production, your budget is very, very small. Instead of maybe bringing someone on for a full day to work something, you just have a meeting and say, what do I need to know as a producer, as a director to move into this space with the most awareness, with the most safety in mind, with this intimacy coordination or intimacy mindset to provide the atmosphere for my performers. And so the rate may be lower, maybe just hourly, if it's just that kind of meeting. It has felt a little peculiar, I'll say, to just come in and help someone hold hands. Uh And I think, though, we shouldn't minimalize what a handhold could mean to someone personally. Yeah, absolutely. There's so many different types of touch and emotions behind touch where a handhold for me can be totally different emotional stakes than for a handhold for someone else who maybe a handhold the last time or previous times has not been a pleasurable experience, a nice experience. Mm-hmm. They have maybe a lot of emotions tied to someone touching their hands and maybe they have a physical disability that handholding, you know, things like fibromyalgia, MS, you know, holding my hand might be a big deal. Mm-hmm. So I think it's always best to not assume that anything is just minimal. It doesn't really matter. Oh, that's not real intimacy. We can just do without it. I understand why a lot of productions may not put themselves in the mindset to seek you out. Exactly. Because it does seem very minimal. But of course, you know, I think we all are moving into a space of being of heightened awareness of what all things may mean to most people or all people, which is wonderful. It can sometimes seem to create a hurdle or a barrier, I think that's when it's best to try to find a consultant, if nothing else. If you can't bring someone on for a full day, if you have a friend, if you're able to reach out to one of these organizations that provides education, there's a lot of groups out there. There are a lot of people who are just training and maybe offering their services for low cost or free <laughs> just to get the experience. Mm-hmm. So it's always worth reaching out for any level. Okay. That's really interesting. So when you're brought on e- either to consult or to be there on on the day for projects that are a little bit less graphic than like a full on sex scene, like when it's largely like, you know, handholding, hugging, maybe a, a couple of like basic kisses, like where do you start when you are brought on set? Like where what part of the process are you brought on for and where how do you start your work and and putting in the hours that you need to make sure everyone's comfortable and doing everything right. In my experiences so far, I have been brought on probably uh, after the audition process and maybe a week or two prior to shooting or somewhere early on in a rehearsal process for a theater production. And I like to start by talking to the director and seeing what their vision is. What story are they trying to tell? what scenes, what images, 
what parts of the script really matter the most to them to come across on the screen or on stage. From there, I like to have a pre-meeting with the cast members, the performers, to see where they are, what are their thoughts? What do they see as their character in this moment? How do they maybe envision the scene going if they have any thoughts or visions for the scenes for themselves or for their character development in that moment? And then I like to kind of dig into the specifics of, okay, this says you are kissing, this says you're holding hands, this says you're hugging, so on and so on. Are there any physical or emotional concerns that they have? And this is their opportunity to share what they would like to with me so that I can move forward with choreography or a plan that takes into account their physical or emotional needs. I should say I am not a therapist. I am not licensed. Most intimacy coordinators, I feel, do not have any kind of mental health background. We do take mental health first aid, a lot of us, to help us identify if someone is maybe having a mental health episode or issue but we are not licensed or most of us are not licensed or trained therapists. I certainly am not. So when I ask someone if there's an emotional context, like I said before, if handholding is something that is really a, a point of, of emotional heightened state for them, I would like to know that before I move forward with choreographing a handholding scene where they're going to be holding mm-hmm. hands with this person for two minutes straight, you know, and then I can go to a director of photography and say, Hey, is there, Here's some options. Can we play with angles? Is there maybe a hand double, a body double that can be provided so that this person doesn't have to go through this scene? There's been instances where it's, we can do this scene three times on a film, that's it. Mm -hmm. Or we can do this scene as long as the actor feels emotionally and physically able to continue, especially when we're talking about scenes that may have intimate partner violence or sexual assault, Mm -hmm. sexual violence. I don't, Personally, as an actor, I don't want to have to relive that moment over and over and over, Mm -hmm. especially if I have a personal experience that perhaps may be brought up. And so I've I've worked on film, uh, a film project where that was a case. It was a sexual violence scene, an intimate partners scene. And at some point, the, the performer was like, I don't know if I can do this again. And from there, we were able to come up with a plan. Okay, well, the other person is just going to be on the sidelines to provide you with that energy from another performer. You are going to be propelling all the moment movement yourself, and we're going to make sure the camera angle works in such a way that you, you, you're the only one making any actions happen. Mm-hmm. And remember that you are not your character in this moment. You are an actor. Really creating that separation of performer character I find is also very helpful and important. So I'm curious what is actually happening on set then? Like, are you speaking with the director and then speaking with the actors? Are you speaking to the actors with the director together? What does that communication look like? It's a little bit of both, depending on what the situation is. You know, I said I have a pre-meeting with them. And I think it's important to note that the pre-meeting I may have with a performer may take place a week, two weeks, a month before shoot day. A hundred things can happen between then and now. Mm-hmm. So I will check in again with the performer and say, hey, you know, this is what we previously discussed. Have you had any changes to any of your physical or emotional boundaries? Or are you in a certain headspace today that may make this challenging for you or that we may need to adjust for? So I do check in with them uh, if there has been a change to the, the shoot list or shooting schedule 
it is a lot of that communication with, okay, what are we doing next so that the performer can prepare adequately, whether that be emotionally, physically, costumes, uh, hair and makeup wise. So that way it all happens with as much minimal, like extra time. Because <laughs> uh, again, mm -hmm. sometimes these are awkward situations for people. Sometimes these may be uncomfortable situations for people. We're trying to lessen that. We're trying to minimize okay. that, but it happens. You know, you're in a room full of people, especially on a film, people you probably only met for the first time an hour ago. And so we want to try to make it as concise and concise and correct, I'll say, as possible, yeah. uh, the, as, as quickly as possible the first time out the gate, I'll say. So I may talk to the director. If there's been a change to the shot, we may have to do a quick readjustment with the original choreography that we had worked through. Sometimes that's helpful. Sometimes it's not so helpful because you have to maybe redo a whole idea. And then talking to the performers to make sure that that's still on their list of acceptable things. Mm. And so we may be having separate conversations. And then there are times where we're all in the room talking about it at once. Okay. And of course, this has kind of been a, a process long before intimacy coordination was a thing of having a closed set, perhaps, when an intimacy mm -hmm. is, is taking place. So making sure only the people who have to be in the room are in the room especially when it gets down to actually filming and shooting. Only the people who need to see a monitor are the only people in the monitor. So creating that extra sense of privacy in a not so private moment. That's great. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. I was also curious about like the amount of autonomy that you tend to get. Like, is there a standard practice? Is there a standard like for you? Like, if I don't have this much autonomy, I can't help you. Like, you're I'm I don't want to just be an extra body there. Like, what what does that conversation look like? Yeah. So I have tried to make that very kind of address that very early on with the director or producer. Be like, hey, what is it you're looking for me to do? And then that also may change because so I have gone into projects with this whole idea of who I'm going to be when I get on set and I'm going to do this and I'm going to have this available and I'm going to do this. And of course, with the nature of film, the day of I'm like, oh, that's not going to work. Or perhaps the performers didn't need me in the way I thought mm -hmm. they would need me. So they have maybe already had experiences where they know how to create those safety nets for themselves. And while they appreciate me being in the room, they appreciate me being their advocate there for them. Sometimes that's all I am. Sometimes I am just sitting in the room, making sure that certain policies and procedures are being followed still. And I check in with the performer. And sometimes I do. I just kind of feel like the fly on the wall, just kind of sitting there hanging out. And then there's other times where it's like, oh, no, I'm very much involved. It's a lot of conversation. We're changing things. We're working through things. I need to pull this performer aside because they are going into fight or flight mode and they're starting to feel uncomfortable. So maybe we need to step aside for five minutes and have a chat or do some breathing exercises or some character separation to kind of get them back to a mode, hopefully a mode of being able to continue performing. Or I need to go back to the director and say, hey, this is it for today. We're done. So in the best case scenario, you have a director, you have a team, a producer who are willing to really value you as an intimacy professional, who are willing to work with you and understand what all really is going into this from a performer perspective as well, that the performer is not getting lost in the sauce there. You know, oh, well, I, I'm paying you to be here and perform. You knew we were doing this today. Let's get going. No, they're human. <laughs> And they deserve their autonomy and to have their, their, their boundaries respected. 
and to have this be a good experience for them too. Uh, it's so important that we don't forget that actors like to have fun and have good experiences. We don't want anyone to walk away mm -hmm. from a production saying, I never want to do this again. This was my dream. Now I never want to do this again because I've had this horrible experience and I feel like that's happened one too many times for, for too many people, unfortunately. So hope I've not yet had an experience with producers or directors where I am instantly, you know, slamming my head against the wall, coming up against of flags, flags. I have had one experience where they were on a very tight schedule and I wasn't given the time I was promised to work with them. And then we kind of just rushed through and I only got to do about half of the work I wanted to do with them. Thankfully, in that situation, I felt comfortable because the actors themselves had already built a foundation of intimacy to work with. So I kind of felt like, okay, I can feel okay. Not the best, but I can feel okay about leaving them moving forward because they already had some of the foundations. A few of them had already worked with intimacy coordinators. They were able to advocate for themselves, which is why I was brought on in the first place, because they advocated to have an intimacy director there. And they were able to move forward. And I felt, okay, I can I can let this one go. That's good. So something something that I'm curious about, because we obviously talked a lot about like the logistical aspects of like protecting and advocating for, you know, the the performers. I'm curious how you approach intimacy coordination and directing from a craft perspective. Like what's going through your head when you're meeting with the director and the DP when you are starting to block a scene, be it as simple as a handhold or as, you know, intense as like a, a sex scene? What is what are your kind of craft things that you're thinking of? Um, as far as my actor brain working or just... Sure, <laughs> a, a actor brain, like, you know, when you're blocking a scene, like what's going through your head, putting aside safety for now and thinking about the art that you're making? What's the what's the art side of your brain, actor and otherwise? Yeah. Doing? It's, it's really trying to put... I, I mean, I'm trying to put forward something I would be interested in seeing. Um, mm. something that's going to tell the story well, something that's going to be visually engaging, perhaps visually pleasing. And so also a little bit of like, well, what would I be comfortable doing up on stage in front of 500 people, you know, or in mm -hmm. a film set where I know this film may be seen by millions of people. So I think I, I try not to lose that artistic perspective of and maybe it's a little self-insert as well when you're thinking about physicality. You're like, okay, how would I, how do I now explain something that I find easy to do to someone else in technical terms? Or how do I take mm -hmm. the language I'm comfortable using and desexualizing it so I can explain it to someone else and not give them language that they may not be comfortable with or put that atmosphere out there, that sexually charged atmosphere out there for them. So I, I still feel like I kind of approach it as an actor to some degree of, I just want to create a fun story. I try not to give too many actor notes because that's not my job technically. Uh, but if sure. I see someone kind of like trying to connect the dots, I, I, I feel like I'm able to be like, you know, it's kind of like X, Y, Z or think of it this way. And mm -hmm. I think having that artistic actor background when working with actors specifically really helps because you're like, no, I, I understand. <laughs> I know where you are. I'm, I'm, we're going to try to work through this together. So, and with that, I do still try to make it collaborative because what I've come up with in my head, when we get there, it just may not work. Someone's boundaries may have changed. Maybe the set wasn't what I thought it was going to be, or it has changed. Now the director wanted over here instead of over here. They wanted it to be a longer scene, a shorter scene. So mm -hmm. I really love getting input from performers as well to be like, what feels right to you for your character right now? Because I don't want to give you movements that 
your character would never, that feel completely out of place with the rest of your character and with the rest of the movements you do naturally. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely interesting. I, cause I know at the bit of performing I've done a lot, like I, the director I've worked with the most is a theater director and his, his usual status, not just for intimate scenes is just like, I want to see what you guys do it. Like, I want you to walk around the scene as if like you're you're just blocking yourself. I'm just curious what you're going to naturally do. And then I will make adjustments and suggestions from there. But I imagine that that maybe wouldn't work quite as well for a, a more intimate scene where obviously like there are different boundaries and, mm-hmm. and things like that. So how do you approach maintaining the autonomy for the performers while also respecting boundaries and like making sure everyone feels safe and isn't like experimenting in a way that might hurt someone? So one of the tools that we tend to use is a boundary practice. And so apart from me asking the performers ahead of time, so I can maybe craft choreography ahead of time or come up with a plan ahead of time, when we're together, I'll ask the performers to check in with each other. Uh, On the film set, I have found it's very different doing this than on a theater stage, uh, just because of time constraints, right? Fewer rehearsals, time constraints, things of that nature. But on a film set, I have ask the actors to, you know, meet together. I may, again, I'll go ahead and check in with, again, with them separately, then together, ask them to share any physical boundaries that they may have. And I always give the example of mine are my ears. It's, it's a medical thing from childhood. I don't want anyone touching my ears. And so as we move forward, mistakes happen, but could you please avoid touching my ears? Perfect. Great. And so I let those actors have that conversation with each other on a film set, if there is time or if there is a rehearsal space, it may be a physical boundary practice in which actor A is physically guiding actor B's hand through where on their body they can touch. So I being actor A, first I'm going to, and this is what I do in theater because I do have that time in theater. So actor A, performer A will go through and show physically on their self where it is okay to touch and where it is not okay to touch. And so this is a very kind of slow, like you wanna make sure you're getting over the arms, under the arms, armpits, neck, back, blah, blah, blah. You wanna touch as many areas on yourself that you feel it is okay for your partner to touch. The next step of that is then to take your partner's hand with your partner's consent, because again, this partner may have a boundary. So partner B may have a boundary like, oh, I don't wanna be touching your body right now, or I don't want you holding my hand right now or my wrist. And, but the next step of that practice is for performer B to get more of a physical awareness in their own body of where the boundaries are on partner A. Um, So again, most of the time that's taking partner B's hand and going over those same motions over the same areas of the body. And then we want actor B or performer B to then vocalize what they've seen and what they've done. I noticed that it is okay to touch from top of your head, down the sides of your face. I noticed you had a barrier around your upper torso, but then underneath your rib cage is where, you know, between your rib cage and your hip bones, that's okay. But there's a barrier between your, you know, midsection to your upper knees. So, and as you notice, trying to desexualize, trying to make very anatomically, trying to make it very anatomically correct language. And so that's a practice where we can give the performers the opportunity to really connect with each other, learn about each other's physical boundaries, and hopefully move forward with a more consent-based and safer, um, although safety is relative, but safer set situation or stage situation. 
So I like to start with that so that as moving through the scene, everyone has the awareness of the other performers' boundaries. Again, mistakes happen. We want to apologize and move forward, acknowledge it, or, or take the feedback in a, in a positive way and say, you are correct. I did do that. I apologize. I will be more careful moving forward and then move on from there. And then I do from there, especially for stage, I am that kind of person like, well, show me how you think this scene as much as you can, mm-hmm. as much as you can show me where you see this scene going or just walk me through basic blocking and then we'll build from there. So that again, I'm not giving them motions or, or choreography or direction that is way out of left field for them. Very cool. As we're having this conversation, I'm just thinking about all the kissing scenes I've had to do. Like, totally. God, I wish I had someone like you on scene because we were so weird about oh, it yeah. the whole time. I had a, um, I've been doing theater since high school. And I remember the first time I've ever had to kiss someone on stage. And the moments like of the very first, we didn't practice it like the entire time, of course not. Mm-hmm. And probably thankfully, but it might've also helped. Uh, but the day of performance I was on stage and the moment came to kiss my scene partner and my whole body froze to the point where my co-star behind me physically pushed me in the back and pushed me into the actor (laughs) so that we couldn't make contact and continue the scene. And there was a bunch of reasons why I froze up on stage there. But, you know, she knew some of the reasons. And so she was like, "Mm -hmm, do it. There you go. But having something like this would have definitely helped to say, hey, I am not comfortable kissing this person. Mm -hmm. Can we find another alternative? Does the kiss have to happen to tell the story of this, let's say, happy ending at the end of this Shakespeare scene, which is what it was? Mm -hmm. Like, what else can we do besides a kiss? And also, I mean, you're in high school, middle school. It's kind of like, I don't, you don't necessarily want to force children to kiss each other if you don't have (laughs) to, if you don't have to, you know, it's, it's easy to assume, you know, high schoolers, they're probably all kissing each other, but you know, you never know. Again, you never know where someone's experiences and boundaries are. So that's why having something like this, even in the academic, you know, definitely college, but middle school, if again, I don't, I don't know too many plays in middle school, hopefully that have a lot of physical contact like that, but high school definitely and onward. Um, this is such a great tool and such a great awareness and mindset to go into and yeah, practice to have absolutely yeah. practice thank you <laughs> yeah could you elaborate a little bit more on desexualizing language especially if you're working in a really sexual scene yes so the goal is to remove some of that anxiety and tension and also to make it as clinical and sterile as possible especially for people who may are just meeting uh, people who may have sexual trauma in their history of any kind. And for the sake of meeting people where they are, we cannot assume if I say, you're going to give them a blowjob. I, mm-hmm. I have assumed now that everyone involved in this scene knows what a blowjob is and how to perform one. And that may not be the case at all. So part of desexualizing is not only to give us a technical language that meets people where they are and to create this sense of lessons. Like shared vocabulary. Yeah, shared. There, thank you. That's the word. Shared vocabulary. Because <laughs> most people know instead of saying you're going to perform oral sex and you're going to perform oral sex by moving your head in a straight line forward and back over three beats or, 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 or five times, you're going to make this motion with your head forward and back five times. And your goal is for your nose to make contact or come close to your partner's inner left thigh. 
about three inches below their groin. Mm. So now when you hear that, there's nothing sexy about that, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like, okay, I'm moving my head in a line towards a a upper mid thigh area with my nose. None of that seems erotic (laughs) anymore. Mm. And that's kind of the point. It's like, hey, we want to take out all of this charged language. We want to make it a shared language. We want to remove all of this anxiety and pressure from what a sex act can be for some people. And also it helps us, you know, avoid certain triggering language. It also makes it repeatable. So if I say your goal, move your head back and forth five times in a straight line, your nose should make contact with their upper thigh three inches down from their groin every time we all see it. We all, we have now, you know, kind of taped off, imaginarily taped off where your head will be making contact to that line. And that's something you can repeat over and over again. If I say, give them a blow job, make it about 10 seconds long. What, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what a blow job is, you know, or I, I don't know what that other person's anatomy may look like. Do they have outward sexual organs or inward sexual organs? So taking all of that language and making it sterile does all of that to just help build something that is safer, repeatable, and hopefully just takes away some of that stigma and pressure for everyone. And I can literally write it down in a book, in notes, and that way, again, we can go back and we can repeat it time and time again, especially for a theatrical production where a choreography, you live in you know, you live and breathe by your choreography that your dance instructor gives you, your dance choreography gives you. It is the same thing for your intimacy coordinator. We want to repeat this every night to avoid those issues that hope would lead to a me too moment, you know, or lead to, or lead to someone having their boundaries uh, crossed or, or broken or that trust broken. And then making that experience for that performer one they don't want to repeat. Absolutely. That's that's really that's great. really interesting. So I'm I'm curious because obviously you've gone through a lot of trainings and are a part of a lot of groups uh, for other professionals in the intimacy space, on like the craft level. So like the example you just gave of like moving your head forward and backwards in a straight line three inches down from someone's groin. Like is that part of the education? Is like the strategies you can do to make a simulated sexual act look correct on screen? Like, is that part of that education or is that more of like you feel it out, pun mostly not intended (laughs) on the day? Uh, No, that is definitely something that I learned in my training. And thankfully, because gosh, I can't imagine going into some of these situations and using some of the slang and language that we all Mm -hmm, get so kind mm -hmm. of used to and desensitized to. And it, it can be difficult, you know, I'm sure you heard me kind of struggling to think of right words or less sexualized mm-hmm. words. Sure, sure, sure. But that's where, you know, knowing basic anatomy, basic body parts, anatomical language. I mean, I don't have to know what every muscle is called, what every vein and nerve is right. called, but knowing that language uh, does help to make it clear for everyone to really paint a picture. And some of that language also includes levels of touch. So if we're going to say you're going to take your hand, you're going to close the distance with your hand to their upper arm. Your target is here between their shoulder and elbow, their upper arm. And you're going to give them, uh, you're going to move your arm or move your hand down their upper arm with a, a paintbrush stroke. So something that might move the skin a little bit, but it's not 
hard. It's not a grab. It's not a muscle. So something grabby, we would call a muscle level or a bone level touch. Bone level touch means a grab. Paint might mean more of a little bit muscly, more of a massage type of movement, or we have like a light, light touch, you know, just a very powder, powder touch is a word that we use. And that's something that you're not going to see the skin move, but you're, you're still able to convey to someone, especially a lot of actors who have theater training, who may know things about like bond movements or, you know, viewpoints movements, they're going to be able to take that kind of language and be like, oh, I know exactly what that means. And it's also easy to demonstrate. Again, we want to make this something that's clear and repeatable. So if I say, imagine it like powder, like you're, you're just moving powder around. You don't have to do that hard. You don't have to be forceful when you're moving powder. It's so light. So that's just how we want to make contact with that person's skin is in a powder touch. That's cool. I love the creativity of that. Yeah. Like creating the different imagery. It's really great. Um, I cannot take credit for anything I've just said or used. Um, <laughs> I, I did all learn that from people who you know, really pioneered this and, and started this industry and this profession. So thanks to people who had a lot more forethought and wisdom than I did <laughs> for coming up with this. So I'm, I, I want to go back to like the simulation aspect of like when actors cannot actually perform the action, but it needs to look like they are uh, oftentimes wearing or starting to wear less clothing than in other scenes. Like where, what is, what is the starting point for you of making sure that you're balancing performer boundaries as well as like making it look like it's actually happening? happening, you know, not wanting to do the equivalent of like a original Star Trek like monster, you know, you want to <laughs> want it to look real, but you want everyone to be okay. Like how, where do you start with that? Right. For film and TV, I think it's almost a little easier in some ways because mm -hmm. you have camera sure. angles, you can edit, right. you can edit, edit, edit. You have different camera angles you can play with. And it all starts with based on that person's boundaries, how much clothing they may be willing to remove. We can do things like nude undergarments that may match their skin. There's body tape. There are specific undergarments that are made specifically to cover uh, genital parts or, you know, nipples, nipple covers, things that, you know, have multiple, you know, dance belts, everything from a dance belt to a, an invisible thong that you might just wear for fashion shows that can be used to help simulate sex on screen and on stage. So really looking at what is the story we want to build? Where are these key images and what can tools can we use using lighting, using camera angles, using costuming, and maybe even to the point of using prosthetics or a body double, if you have that kind of budget, you know, to all make it come across the way we want. So this isn't like necessarily taking all of the physical touch out of something. There will be physical sure. touch. There will be moments where you will see someone, you know, in an embrace if that's, you know, mm -hmm. possible for them. So a lot of the motions, even though we break it down in that very technical language, do add up to a sexual scene a scene of sexual intimacy. So when you finally see it on camera or you finally see it on stage, you're not seeing the move your head, blah, 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 because then the actors are able to, now that we have set this guideline for them, they are able to bring in their experience of making it real, their own skills of selling it, so to speak. Right, sure. So they're able to bring the emotion and a little bit more personality and personal experience into it, given that they now have these guidelines and they know exactly what's going to happen. 
you know, when it's going to happen and how it should happen. And that gives them freedom in the end because they don't have to guess. They don't have to guess of, oh, where's their hand going to go? Right. Who, who, who's going to touch you when, where, how? And because that's mm-hmm. another level of anxiety. You know, you're trying to be in the moment. You're trying to be in the scene and your character. But now you're suddenly worried about someone touching you somewhere you don't want to be touched. We're, we're trying mm-hmm. to take that away. So now you are free to really live in that moment because you have choreography, because you know what's going to happen or what should happen, I should say. And uh, that gives you a sense of freedom. And so we take all of that and then we take those technical aspects like costuming and camera angles, maybe lighting if it's on stage. I I mean, I've heard ideas of, you know, well, they'll start to get close together, but then the lights will go out and maybe it's just sounds after that. Mm -hmm. Or maybe we turn it into a shadow play, (laughs) you know? So Mm -hmm. it looks like they're touching, but it's all shadow. Maybe it's a whole different set of actors doing the shadow work because they were comfortable with the intimacy scene. Mm. Maybe we build up everything up until the moment and then we pull them off stage or we put them under a blanket so that they're just, you're just seeing motions. You're just seeing movement. Mm -hmm. They can just stand under the blanket and punch up. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And I saw um, another intimacy coordinator that I follow on Instagram was working on a film set and the scene was people having sex in a car. And so it's the outside of the car for this particular shoot she shared or scene she shared. And you see the car doing that rocking motion that (laughs) is very quintessential, having sex in a car motion, you know, the back and forth on Mm -hmm. the wheels. And on the, but then she like cut to the inside and it's just the two actors just basically having like a jungle, (laughs) you know, running around from side to side or swaying their own bodies, barely touching each other, but creating Mm -hmm. this image of, something more happening and meanwhile these actors are giggling Mm -hmm. and having a great time inside like it's a jungle gym you know (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's really fun so even when we are like desexualizing language and like blocking terms and treating this like choreography i imagine that people with external genitalia especially will probably still run into like the physical sensation of becoming aroused and that obviously has implications of its own how do you protect uh performers with external genitalia and their scene partners to make sure that like when things like that happen arousal is a natural physical state uh, that everyone feels comfortable safe and you know no shame or anything like that right so i have not yet been told by a performer that this has happened to them. But okay, I, in, in some of my learning and some, you know, hear, hearsay from others, it's really important to realize that it, it's a natural body function. Even if you take, like you said, you take out all the sexual language, you make it as choreographed as possible, your body's going to react. And so if there was something like an erection, or if someone with internal organs, you know, maybe had some fluid up here, just, just saying, I need a break. I need a five. Can we take a five? Mm-hmm. Um, hope giving the performer that empowerment to recognize what's happening to them and feel comfortable to say, give, give their intimacy coordinator, coordinator the signal or, you know, be able to cut without feeling like they're going to ruin everything, you know, and saying, hey, I need a five. Can I just go take a walk real quick? And, and making sure like everybody just building that atmosphere where it's not a shameful thing. It's, and I think that kind of goes into with some of the pre-work that an intimacy coordinator or director can do of really just explaining, hey, this is a professional setting. We get this. Let's keep, you know, the dirty jokes and all the comments offset on your break. Let's make this a professional space. And let's recognize that certain things may arise <laughs> for <laughs> certain physical body, you know, natural body things may happen. And 
we don't need to comment on it. It just needs to be acknowledged. Hey, I need a break. And let's, and we'll take a break and we'll move on. If that means changing clothes, if that means changing costume pieces, you know, that that's also very possible. I think having some of that desexualized language and kind of having to think about your choreography kind of cuts down on that maybe a little bit, sure. but I don't have a lot of personal, I've not had any really, I think I've had one intimacy coordinator in 20 years of working. So I've not had a personal, a lot of personal physical intimacy scenes on set or stage as of yet, but I would hopefully feel comfortable, especially if there was an intimacy coordinator involved to be able to say, can we take a step back? And also kind of going back to something I said with like mental aspect of all of this, being able to then separate yourself from your character. Even if I am aroused, I am aroused one, because it's a physical reaction. And two, it's because I've put myself in the mindset of that this person is in love with me. And so if anyone right. is involved with theater a lot, you know what a showmance is or a show crush is, and it may happen mm -hmm. on film too. And it's because we get so caught up in the idea of like, oh, I'm playing this scene and this person's my partner, they're my spouse and oh, we're young and we're in love. And then suddenly all those emotions start to mix with reality. And then all of a sudden we have a lot of feelings on set or on stage that are not possibly not true to the actual real life situation. And a lot of intimacy coordinators can also give you tools to, again, separate your character. So I am, I am Camille. I am playing Joanne in this film or on this uh, play where I am married to so, and they are really, really great. But so-and-so is played by Joe and Joe is not actually my husband, you know? <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I think it's uh, back to your original uh, question. It's, it's a natural part of life. And I think we just have to acknowledge and move on. And hopefully the, the set or the stage space, theater space is one in which everyone is on a level of respecting boundaries and having that sure. professional mindset. And yeah, really, I, I think the best way to handle something like that is just to take a break and, mm -hmm. and come back to it when we're able to come back to it. There's a story that I saw recently with one of my favorites, Drew Barrymore. And it's in the movie Never Been Kissed. And Michael Vartan, the actor, the romantic interest in this movie is saying, you know, you actually really laid a kiss on me during that last scene. And he's like, and I mm -hmm. was single and I felt some feelings. And that's why I had to walk away after that scene. You know, and that's just <laughs> now had there been a, and I can't say things could have changed if there was an intimacy professional back then to handle that. But Drew also admitted she's like, yeah, I was single, too. I definitely laid one on you because I, yeah, I felt I could. So things like that may not have happened <laughs> had an sure, intimacy mm -hmm. professional. Maybe Michael wouldn't have had that experience of needing to like cut the scene early and walk away. Had he had, you know, some of that barrier, some of those barriers of an intimacy coordinator um, providing mentally and physically. This also sounds like it's a leadership thing. Like obviously having someone like you there is helpful because you can literally be the advocate. They can speak mm -hmm. through you maybe if they're more comfortable speaking to you. But on sets where people don't have an intimacy coordinator, it sounds like it's a good thing to like start off with just a conversation with everyone using this desexualized language is helpful. But then also making sure that like you are keeping a cap on the professionalism yourself. Like if you hear someone snickering or laughing like instantly shutting that down making sure that like there is a standard that we are all working on if you cannot meet the standard you can leave yeah absolutely that's where clothes sets come in you know really having the bare minimum people there making sure the people who are there do like you said understand that and I tell people when I'm on set look, I am the queen of cracking a joke when I feel uncomfortable 
I am I am kind of a queen of inappropriate comments. Sometimes dark humor is my forte. And even myself, sometimes I'm on set and I'm like, oh, I have to bite back the urge to say something to break the tension, you know, because sure. we just did a scene of sexual violence and everyone, you can feel everyone. And instead of me making a wise crack, I say, hey, let's all take a breath. Mm-hmm. Let's all breathe, breathe from our stomachs, breathe deep. Let's reset our, let's calm down our nervous systems a little bit. So, you know, I'm, I'm human too. I like to cut up with my friends and I've definitely have probably in the past said and done things inappropriate on stage um, because that was just the nature of being a theater kid and being on stage with other mm-hmm. people that you felt comfortable with. But yeah, to your point, definitely now moving forward, creating that professional atmosphere because I recognize my normal is no one else's normal. And I, I hope things that I've done and said in the past haven't made someone feel intensely uncomfortable or not want to work with me anymore or have caused them some sort of pain. And so I think now that we have this avenue and we have this mindset moving forward, it's just going to provide so much more opportunities for people to really connect on a different level and still have a great experience. Yeah, it sounds like not taking things for granted that are comfortable to you is a big piece of this. That's something I'm certainly taking away is that like something that may seem easy, handholding, whatever, like touching someone's ears isn't. And Mm -hmm. especially when you're putting yourself in a vulnerable emotional state to perform on camera or to direct people performing on camera, you know, not taking things for granted is maybe a good early takeaway, even if somebody can't afford a long term relationship with an intimacy coordinator on set. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I'm curious, uh, a couple of years ago, I was a I was writing and performing in a web series where my character kissed a lot of people and I knew fellow writer directors who also ended up in that situation. And I wrote a whole article about it because we all felt kind of weird about it, both about just kissing scenes in general, but also specifically, we are the performers and also the boss and like that power dynamic feels weird, even when everyone is respectful and professional. Mm-hmm. Do you have any advice for people in that situation who like you might be you know the Mindy Kaling of it all Mindy Kaling has written some low-key problematic things that seemed fine for everyone involved but you know maybe aren't lessons we want to take away uh, about that process of like writing yourself into a kissing scene and then being the one choosing the actor who's going to be opposite you (laughs) how would you approach that sort of like weird power dynamic yeah so that's very unique Uh, I've not really thought of it that way I would say you know yeah as someone who's both writing and starring Mm -hmm. man if they're also producing and directing they have all the power in the room you know, mm-hmm. um, even if they have a co-director or, you know, other executive producers or co-producers, that person has all the power in the room. So really, in that case, you want someone else in that room who feels comfortable telling you no. And that is that mm-hmm. is something I tell performers all the time. I was like, you can tell me no all day, all night. And I will tell everybody else no all day and night because that's my job. And I like telling people no. It's fun for me. Um, you know, so <laughs> I like telling people what to do. So if, though, you know, oh, goodness. I I think just being aware of, like you said, being aware that you hold power and hopefully you're not someone who wants to lord that over everyone or hold that over everyone's head. I think at that point, it comes down to who you are as a person. And I think in that case, it's it's also extremely imperative to make sure that other performer who doesn't have that same amount of power feels empowered to advocate for themselves and to make those calls if there's not an intimacy professional maybe they, hopefully they have some awareness or they feel comfortable in themselves and in their career to speak up and say, I'm not comfortable with this, or can we explore another avenue for this scene or for this and that? 
or hopefully there's someone on set who has stepped in to kind of be that intermediary. And I would hope that, you know, the writer, director, actor, slash, 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 would be able to separate themselves and say, I'm in actor mode. I'm no longer, writing Mm -hmm. is done. I'm no longer writing. Mm -hmm. Hopefully there's no more edits to make, right? I'm no longer in writer mode. I'm in actor mode. Let me just be an actor and let me cede the power of everything else. I know it's not 100% possible, of course. I think having an uninvolved third party, even if they are not specifically an intimacy professional, is probably a good starting point piece of advice. Because like, you know, the power dynamic is awkward where the other actor in the scene may not feel comfortable bringing it to you right away of like, hey, I don't want to do this. Or hey, I don't I don't feel great about how this is moving and having someone else that they can go to as a point of contact as like an intermediary sounds like a a good starting point. Absolutely. And I would say and I, I say this from a place of privilege that I recognize that I I have a place of privilege of always having, almost always having been able to feel like I could express myself. There, I, right. Not in all situations. Same. And right. that's why I wanted to kind of call yeah. this out of like, if you're not a loudmouth broad like us, <laughs> like, what do you say? Um, yeah. And I think that what would help people who maybe aren't, you know, as vocal or feel as empowered is to try to put those boundaries for yourself in as early as possible in the process. Hopefully you're being made aware early enough on in the process to know what will be expected of you throughout the production. Hopefully in the audition, they're, they're telling you this includes intimate scenes. This includes nude scenes. This includes X, Y, Z. Hopefully if you, if you're planning on a production that includes an intimate scene, hopefully you've planned that from the start. And that's not something you're throwing at someone the day of shoot. Um, That would be awful. So Hopefully yeah. as an actor moving into an audition process, you can see that you can maybe ask questions starting there. Hey, I noticed this was a nude. How much nudity are we talking about? You know, what's going to be seen on camera? I think those are all fair questions to ask from the get go uh, before you move into those day of things. And hopefully producers and directors more and more start providing that information up front and not try to like hide it in there. But for both film and stage, you know, I'm I'm seeing more and more of this movement towards being transparent, which is so great. And then again, when you're on set, having that third person or hoping there's someone else on set that you feel comfortable going to who might hopefully speak up for you. Because it's not only a power dynamic of who's in the room, who has the writing credit, who has the producer credit, director credit, so on. Uh, Actors, uh, this is our livelihood as well as what we want to do. And we've been so ingrained as actors to not say no, right. especially if you right. especially if you went to an academic program like a master's program or a college program for theater where it was basically you do it because I said so. And mm-hmm. if you don't, you might get a bad grade or if you don't, you're not going to get cast in this show. And a lot of times right. we carry that because that is still sometimes the industry as a professional outside of academia is if you say no too often, people aren't going to want to work with you. You're difficult. You're difficult. Right, right. I, listen, I'm speaking for myself. Be difficult. (laughs) Be difficult because you are protecting yourself. You are, you are the only one, one of, you're not the only one, but you're one of the only people who can truly advocate for yourself in the way you need. And hopefully you have awareness of what it is you need. And again, that changes over time. It changes day to day. But People who value you as a performer are going to, I hope, listen and respect that. But again, kind of the way the world works, try to be as upfront early on as possible. And it 
unfortunately may preclude you from a role or hopefully you get people who say, well, we can work with that. You know, especially if you are engaging an intimacy coordinator early on, they can help you say, well, that's something we can work around. Let's think of some ideas after these auditions for how maybe we can fit their boundary in because they're an amazing actor. We wouldn't want to pass mm-hmm. them up just because they don't want to hold hands, <laughs> you know? Sure. Right. So let's let's work through some some problem solving, some creative storytelling. I love that. Yeah. Uh, quick question just about COVID. How has COVID changed like your protocols, your approach to rehearsals? Like what is the COVID of it all? So I really started my training in the middle of COVID. <laughs> sure. So okay. um, when I really started getting hands-on practices, it was mostly masking and of course, making sure hand washing. There are COVID specialists on a lot of sets now that really take care of that. I feel like for a film set, it's a little different in that you don't necessarily have to have a lot of close contact until you're ready to go, until it's time to start rolling cameras or you have a rehearsal. For theater, it's been, you know, rehearsing with masks on, really talking through the language, talking through the choreography, doing it without touch for as long as possible. So the first theater gig I had, uh, we were still very much masked still trying to keep some distance at rehearsals. And so we just kind of talked through things and we blocked things and we marked them as well as possible. And after we got the basis down, I asked them, I was like, are you comfortable running this with some close contact? And just kind of moving towards, moving at the, 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 the speed of trust is a phrase that I heard, moving at the speed of trust. So, hey, do you trust you know, that we can do this with some contact now? And so giving them that and being like, hey, you're, you're still masked in rehearsals. Usually tech week is when we actually have to have some physical contact so that you can get it into practice before the night of. Because you don't want opening night to be the first night. Yeah, you don't want your friend to push you. <laughs> right, exactly. <from> exactly. <laughs> you don't want opening night to be the first night that you realize, oh, me being unrobed on stage is not my favorite thing after all. Sure. Mm-hmm. And now we have time to fix it. Even in the production, even during like for theater specifically, even during the run of a show, we like to provide them with options and option A and option B, maybe even option C. So if that day this isn't going to work for you, let's pick up option B. Let's pick up option C and we can move forward from there. There were again, the storytelling never has to stop because of your boundaries. There are so many ways to tell a story um, and we just want to prepare people as best as possible to tell those stories through planning and choreography. That's great. That's great. Okay. So zooming out um, as we sort of wrap up this wonderful conversation, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Uh, Are there any misconceptions about intimacy on screen or on stage that maybe you had before getting educated in the space or that you have observed other people having now that you are a professional in this space? Um, That's a great question. For, for, film, it all seemed so real. And unfortunately, in some cases, it was. We learned later, right? Um, It was a little too real for some people. Yeah, I think think the big kind of misconception that I had, maybe that it was more akin to adult film, uh, there is a big difference. (laughs) Mm -hmm. There's a big difference. And adult film, as far as I know, does not have intimacy professionals involved yet. I'm sure they have their own processes. They've been doing it for a long time. Hopefully they have processes now to ensure people's safety as far as boundaries and consent go. I think the misconception was that everything, yeah, like everything that you saw was actually happening to some degree. You know, not knowing that body doubles are a thing, not knowing that, oh, 
film cuts a lot and changes camera angles and changes camera lenses a lot. There's nothing actually sexy about a sex scene in practicality when you're actually filming it because right. you're in a room full of people, most likely strangers. You're, you're doing emotion so many times, then you have to cut, fix your makeup, fix your hair. There's a makeup and hairstylist coming in, doing this, this, that, the other costume is doing this, this, that, the other people are focusing lights. And then you start over again from one, <laughs> you know, back to one. Mm-hmm. And now you have to do this over again. But that finished result makes you look, think, wow, this was really spicy. And of course, these people fell in love on set. And that happens. But, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's not as real as it seems in real life. Uh, for sure. And I mean, just from kind of a professional standpoint as, of being an intimacy, we're not a lot of people, especially early on, I think the, the minds are changing slowly, but we are not the fun police. We are not the sex police mm-hmm. as intimacy professionals. We want it to look good. We want it to feel spicy. You know, we want people to enjoy what they're seeing, but we want also the performers right. to enjoy the process and have a safer experience and a consent-based experience. And all of those things can happen at the same time. You know, not everything has to be method acting. You know, I hate method acting. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be method yeah. to create an intimate scene. Right. It's, it's just silly to think that you have to go full out all the time and be real to make it look good. That makes sense. Absolutely, that makes a lot yeah. of sense. Uh, just because you brought it up, uh, one of our friends of the pod recently was on a call with Christina and I, and they did work on a adult film, an actual like penetrative sex adult film. And what they told as us- As a production designer. Yeah, nice. so like not as a performer, nice. but as somebody on the set. And they, they asked about like, is it a closed set when it's those scenes, like th- things like that. And apparently they were told that the performers are actually more uncomfortable when you make it a thing about them being nude. Like most pornographic mm. actors just wander around nude and like they're so comfortable that it's almost like the opposite of the rules that we've all been talking about here of like you know keeping everything covered up taking a break it's like if they closing off set they're like no everyone's going to be here everyone's going to be around like we're not treating the sex scene any differently from like the setup scene yeah mm-hmm. uh, and i just yeah. thought that was very interesting no that that is very interesting yeah it's um it'll be interesting to see if they i mean i i assume i don't have any experience but i assume adult film has their own set of rules and boundaries and ways to sure. check in with each other. I I, I would have to mm-hmm. assume at this point. Yeah. They've, they've, they've learned what they're doing. They know what they're doing to a degree. Hopefully all the reputable ones will say the safer reputable ones will say, but there are, there, there was, there are some actors who also don't have any qualms about <laughs> being new. <laughs> yeah. I am having to hand you the robe because I need you to cover up for everyone else's <laughs> sake. I, I get that. Sure. I get that you are free and I love that for you. But everyone else is a little. I don't love it for. I me. don't love it for me. Um, I don't want it. I don't want anyone else to have to see you in states of undress because maybe they're not comfortable. So can you please put the robe on just just for a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> All right, cool. Well, then the last place that I wanted to go was to zoom out even more. We were our audience. It tends to be independent filmmakers, and while budgets can vary, I'm going to go out on a limb and assume that most people, especially if they don't have like a full-on sex scene, probably are not going to make space in their budget, or just straight up don't have space in their budget to hire an intimacy professional. So our podcast was 
hopefully going to be serving as like kind of a practical guide for folks in that position so that they can more thoughtfully approach the process, even if they aren't able to hire someone separately. So with that in mind, what are some things that you would like our audience to kind of take away from this conversation of little things that they can be implementing on their sets to make it a more comfortable consent based space? Yes, I think there are some trainings that the production side, directors, producers, and directors of photography, I assume, and others, there are trainings that are more geared towards them that they can seek out and find Mm -hmm. so that they can get an understanding of what intimacy coordination is and what it should look like on a set. Uh, That is going to cost probably in most cases, but it may not cost as much as hiring an intimacy professional for the day. And once you've taken the class, you, you know, don't need to take it again, probably. Right, right. You don't have to take it again. Now, I will say that does not make you qualified to be the intimacy coordinator on your set. If again, if you are in a position of power, credit yourself. Absolutely not. Yeah. If you are in a position of power, you should not be the intimacy professional on your set if you don't absolutely have to be. So please have like someone else, even if they're also not qualified, having that again, like we talked about earlier, having that third person on set who maybe is that intermediary who, who's that the neutral third party party person. Yes. So really just make yourselves knowledgeable as um, that production team, as much as possible about what consent based practices are, what a safe set may look like, what kind of language needs to be used, what kind of audition process, what language, like we mentioned, like what needs to be set up front, making sure that people are able to make informed consent is so important. So really being mindful of what you're asking for performers being flexible, knowing that there are more than one ways, not being married to your script, not being married to the idea you built in your head. Um, Because you may get the performer that wants to do everything and then some for you, but is that the best performer you could have had? Whereas if you had just Mm -hmm. said, it's okay if they don't want to be fully nude, they're amazing performer. We'll figure it out. Then that's it. There you go. So really be conscientious of the different ways of how to tell a story, that professional aspect of having consent-based practice, having a consent-based set for all levels. You know, I think it's easy to assume intimacy professionals work stops and begins at the performers. I, I have taken care of other people on set before. You know, during the sexual violence scene, I could literally feel everyone's tension from the audio person to other people who were just in the other room waiting. And I said, Hey, everybody, let's just take a deep breath right now. You know, let's all just breathe. We're not, we're not, we're all safe. We're not in danger. And I, I and it honestly it ended up being very valuable to the other people in the room, all the way from crafty all the way down, because they were like, wow, how did you know we were all just like, <laughs> you know, tensed? Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah, because you needed someone else to be like, hey, let's take care of y'all as well. It's like the actor putting on a rope. It's not just for you to protect yourself. It's to protect someone from having to look at you. That's a mean way to say it. But you know, <laughs> that's not the best. Depending on the vibe depending of the, on the set, vibe of maybe set, use different right. words. Use different words. <laughs> use more professional language than I just did. If you can't afford to have that consultation call with a professional, that would go a long way. If you know you can pay for maybe just an hour instead of the full day rate. It's very reductive to say make room in the budget for it. You should be making room in the budget for it. If it's important to you to have this, if it's important to you having this intimate scene, especially something that is very sexual, maybe more than a handhold, maybe more than a kiss, um, any type of penetrative or oral sex scene up to and including sexual abuse, put that in your budget. 
just go ahead and budget for it. Most standard rate is being paid with like any other key person on a set. Okay. Again, there are intimacy professionals who are just starting out. You may work for less to try to build their resume. That doesn't mean they're any less qualified. They just might, you know, they just need the experience like anyone else does. So seek out groups that are intimacy groups. I'm a part of three different intimacy groups, all of which have people at varying levels of their career. Some who can afford to just give away some free time for a project, some who do it as part of their practice. I am willing to, you know, they may say I am willing to work on these indie projects so that there is someone there because that's more important to me than a paycheck. So just reach out. Don't be afraid to reach out. If you get a no, try someone else. Ask them if they know someone else. Everyone knows someone in some level of their career here. There's always a way to make it work. I'm I'm personally, I'm a little bit more willing to take a little bit of less because again, I am still building my resume to some degree. I don't like working for free just because it takes a lot of time and energy. Sure. And um, yeah. everyone deserves to be paid for their work. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, but I also understand like we're all just trying to create. So yeah, just that that would be my my advice to those indies out there. Don't dismiss it as just an, a budget item you don't need. Really try to include it as much as you can, you know, but especially if it's important to your storytelling, you, you have to make room for it. You owe it to your story and your your team. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a great way to say yeah. it. Okay, cool. Well, to wrap us up, what are you working on right now? Where can people find you online? What should we be looking out for next from from you and your your own creative endeavors? Well, thank you. So I am at the Camille Monet, M-O-N-A-E. And that's on most every social media. You'll find me at that handle because <laughs> branding And um, (laughs) um, I am about to go into rehearsals for a play here in the Atlanta area with Essentials Theater. I also am in the works for Intimacy Coordinating, a production in Massachusetts. So I'm just kind of waiting to hear some final words on that. Hopefully that'll come through in August. Other than that, I'm, yeah, I'm just kind of a, a working a working actor, working intimacy, looking for my next big gig or my next big break, as it may be. And you can find me online to see the random stuff I do in between. (laughs) Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Yes. Yes. Thank Thank you you both. Really appreciate being asked to come on. I loved uh, talking with you both. Thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music, Kaylee Brown for our podcast art, Ezra Lee for editing this episode, and to all of you for listening. Links to learn more about them and our guest are in our episode description. And thank you to our booby VIPs, who are our $10 supporters on Patreon. That's Kim Garland, Amanda Blunt, Anthony Epp, Kelsey Rauber, and Norman Steinberg. If you want your name on that list and or you want to have access to all of our bonus resources related to each and every podcast episode we post for free, you can subscribe for as little as $3 to our Patreon at patreon.com slash breakingoutpod. Or join our free newsletter where we share a new creative prompt each month. Next episode, we'll be breaking down what we've been up to in 2022. Be sure to tune in.